What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. <laughs> okay, one more time. All right. I'm April Margulies. And I'm Christopher Tompkins. And you're on the line with the Hype Busters. Welcome. Ready for some real talk on strategic communication? You're in the right place. So we have some breaking news. Do you want to talk about quitting your job, April? Want to get out of there? I don't, I don't want to talk about quitting my job, but I like to talk about whatever the breaking <laughs> news is. <laughs> well, uh, well, the breaking news is actually from DigiDay. It's an article that I thought was pretty damn interesting. It's about how the pandemic has pushed journalists to exit the industry. Now, from my standpoint, I don't deal directly with a lot of journalists, so a lot of this was surprising to me, I guess. And the article is just talking about how burnout from the pandemic has really kind of exacerbated a lot of their already pre-existing conditions, and they're kind of just like, you know what, I'm out, I'm gone, I'm done. And then... (laughs) But what I thought was really interesting is it's like, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop working for this publication and I'm going to do my own job. It's like, no, I'm going to go sail yachts or I'm going to be a boat charter in Hawaii. I'm going to teach a class. It's like, it's very, very different choices, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. What, what, I don't get this for me personally. I mean, I understand getting burnt out and then wanting to do something kind of. Um, that would be turned into a Netflix show. But like, what is, so what, do, what do you think? So honestly, what's interesting about that piece of it that you're talking about, about quitting and going into something completely unrelated, is it something that happens in PR a lot. But for some reason, most of the people who quit being PR people become yoga teachers. I don't oh my know God. Why. I don't know why. I've seen it at least five times of somebody just quitting and then they do something totally different. Now, I've also seen a lot of people quitting and doing something totally different that's either in marketing or social media or something that's still a stone's throw away from PR, but the just totally changing course altogether, I've also seen in PR. I think it's a combination of things. I think it comes Mm. from that it's a very stressful industry, regardless of which side you're on. If you're on the PR side or the media side, you're working crazy hours, crazy deadlines. Everything's an emergency. Everything's now. There's immediacy that just can lead to burnout. That can be really exciting in certain Mm -hmm. circumstances. And I think that in an in-person setting, it's probably more exhilarating. I think in a digital setting, when you're able to sort of remove yourself from the immediacy of the topic or the person or the environment, I think it can become less appealing. So I think in combination on the journalist side, the salaries are usually 
not very in line with the amount of work and the amount of expertise required. Right. So I think you have to really be passionate about what you're doing. And I think there's a few things that are probably also leading to just a feeling of overall burnout about the industry on the journalism side. Mm. One of which is all the layoffs that are happening. It's layoff after layoff after layoff at these different outlets. Mm. And they go to these startup outlets that offer them super handsome salaries and they get laid off again because they can't make it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, you know, I think living with that kind of stress of not feeling like you have job security, even when you have a full-time job, that in combination with the job itself being a stressful and the income not matching the level of stress and the Mm -hmm. job insecurity is probably just making journalists say like, do I really want to do this? And in some cases they're starting sub stacks and they're sticking with it. And I think in other cases, they're just wiping their hands clean of it altogether. And then on top of that is just this shift in focus. So, I mean, I know, for example, when I was a journalism student and wanted to be a reporter, Mm -hmm. I was doing it to be the watchdog of society. And I really wanted to, you know, feel like I was making a difference. And as time went on, it became more and more obvious because of the struggling business format and model that there was an issue where you couldn't really do that noble calling you were hoping to do Mm -hmm. because what you were really doing is making sure you didn't piss off any advertisers. (laughs) And then it turned into this thing where everything had to be a buzzworthy social media headline. And suddenly there are news outlets now where Mm -hmm. when you walk in there, you see the most shared media stories from the outlet and they're ranked for everyone to see. And so then it starts to become more about the headlines and the sensationalness of it. And Mm -hmm. there's like pressure from market forces, the publishers, the advertisers, et cetera. You know, because I feel like there are a lot of people that I knew as well that were in journalism for the do-gooder nature of it, right? It's sort of- Right, of course. And I think if you remove those pieces of inspiration and then you add in the stress of the outlets having fewer and fewer journalists and they have to publish more and more stories per day, And the stories have to perform a certain way on social media. And if they don't, they get a certain amount of pressure. I mean, I think if that was your core inspiration for the profession, it could be eroded pretty badly at this point. It's interesting because, you know, when I first went to college, I wanted to be a journalist. I had did my research. I had studied it, whatever. Well, I had a fabulous teacher that basically told me the truth. And it was that it wasn't for me. I was going to have to pander. I was going to have to, you don't have to, but you have to, if you want to live and if you want to have a family and if you want to have a home, you know, you can kind of stick your neck out all the time for what you believe is right, but that doesn't always pay. And I immediately didn't align with how I was. And so I changed my course of action and went into stripping. And then that really worked (laughs) uh, through college, but you know, No, it was nice seeing the truth. I love when teachers actually tell you the truth rather than trying to give you this whole like TED talk on how you should be (laughs) living your life. But yeah, well, another piece that I saw in the news recently and we were discussing, it was a marketing dive piece with brand loyalty and how brand loyalty is eroding under supply chain and price pressures. Now, do you feel like some of the supply chain challenges are COVID related in terms of this story in particular? I think it's a little bit COVID, but I think it's mostly more of the other logistical issues that are happening 
in the logistics industry. So there's all these things now with uh, containers and crates that are costing too much and they're stuck in places. And it's actually really interesting because when I was at SuperZoo, a number of people that I talked to said, I'm really interested in working with you, but we cannot possibly talk to you about PR until we get the crate situation under control. Because right now we don't even know if we're going to be able to supply to our retailers and all of our different distribution channels. So adding any additional interest to the pipeline might tank the company. It's it's so interesting, you know, and it's something that I've come up with um, some clients I'm working with in a product-based business, mostly. The thing is that they're worried about doing any sort of flash deals or any sort of even Black Friday because they are not sure that they'll be able to deliver in terms of the holiday. And so we've already been trying to come up with promotions. They're tied to Black Friday, but tied for you having a good new year. Like take advantage of this Black Friday deal. And then when you want to start your year off healthy, and this is going to come and you're going to be ready to go. Just trying to figure out a different way of doing it because you still have to promote. You still have to be there. You have to still be in, you still have to be in the consciousness. But if you are only online, um, especially if you're online, I mean, that's a challenge. What's also concerning is, are those costs of all the shipping nightmares going to be passed down to consumers? And then that's where I think this article is getting at. If you have certain brands that didn't have supply chain issues because they're not bringing things in from China and they're, you know, locally sourced or whatever, you know, then they're going to be doing well and able to offer more competitive pricing. And then all that brand loyalty is going to go out the window. Cause if you normally get, you know, Tropicana orange juice, I mean, I have no idea if they're having shipping issues. This is just a random yeah. example, but like, you know, if, if suddenly it costs $5 more than the other brand it doesn't really matter if you love Tropicana, you're going to be like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe the store organic version is fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, it's so interesting that that brand loyalty piece because down here in Florida, the two main like you go into the front of the store and it's like bogo bogo bogo. I mean, it is like <laughs> there is like crates and crates and crates of bogo stuff, and every week it's a different type of brand. It's exactly like I'm loyal to whatever is in the bins. I'm not loyal to whatever I really do like. It's really interesting how things are changing based off of just that one piece, you know. But it's fascinating. Um, I was just going to say, I have Greg in our waiting room. Yeah, no, let him in. Okay, here he comes. All right. So, Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Looking forward so, to it. So, I mean, for everybody who is not familiar with, with Greg, Greg's customer service, employee experience, and digital transformation consultant, as well as a best selling author and keynote speaker. He's um, the author of the Agile series of books, and he's also the host of his own podcast, The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom Podcast, and lead consultant at The Agile Studio. So Greg, tell us a little bit about The Agile World. So I come from a marketing background, and I started, ran, and sold a marketing agency. And so, you know, come from that world originally, but since selling the agency, I've gotten a lot more into, as you mentioned, customer experience and employee experience, and really looking at how organizations manage and adapt in a changing environment. And so that, that involves a lot of digital transformation, 
which a lot of organizations are going through. And so, you know, the Agile Studio is the consulting work that I do. I work with experts, bring in, build teams really to work with organizations on whatever their focus areas need to be. And the Agile World is my podcast. And, you know, I talk with business leaders around those topic areas as well. Very cool. I'm super curious to hear how digital transformation has been sped up by the pandemic and where you see it going. A lot of organizations were starting down that path pre-pandemic, but yeah, it's interesting how the pandemic has made some of the initial challenges worse because, you know, customers that were maybe a, a larger percentage were going into a store or into a location or something like that. And now all of a sudden they want to do everything online. And, and now that we've been, you know, 18 months into this, that's more than enough time for habits to change, right? And new behaviors to set in. And so customers are wanting to do things differently and so are demanding digital transformation in their own way. By the same token, employees, same thing. So, you know, while some people have come back to the office in some capacity, employees want to work differently. In some cases, they need to or have to work differently. And the organizations that, you know, haven't quite figured that out yet, they're suffering. The ones that kind of got ahead of the curve, maybe it, to your point, it accelerated what was already in place, mm -hmm. but they at least kind of hit the ground running with that before they absolutely had to. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So in, in terms of these uncertain times, which I won't say, but I just did, I would say that I've seen that the experience of my employees is something that has really become important because there's this checkout culture, which we also talked about as well. We were talking about um, all of the journalists that are just like, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to go, you know, to Hawaii and teach surfing. Do you feel that a lot of companies are realizing that this is something that they need to start focusing on, that employee experience and enhancing it? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, this hit different sectors in different ways. So, you know, whether it's just people on the front lines are just like, you know what, I don't get paid enough for this, or all of this was sort of coming anyway, right? It was going to happen. It was maybe going to happen slower. It's accelerated this idea of, you know, a lot of people were dissatisfied with the way that work was being done. They were getting frustrated, but didn't necessarily know the vocabulary, I guess, for lack of a better term to to really talk about these things. And, you know, I mean, I'd been working in the employee experience space for a few years already, and mm -hmm. we were starting to tackle this with very large, you know, like Fortune 50 companies that were having problems on a mass scale. But now all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people at small and medium companies, in addition to those larger ones that are saying, you know what, I don't need to put up with this anymore. We've got restaurant workers that are like, I don't need to make, you know, less than minimum wage plus tips. And there's got to be a better way to do it. And again, we've been doing this long enough that people are able to not only try new behaviors, but those behaviors set in and they're not coming back younger people, you know, whether they're out of college or out of high school or whatever, they're not necessarily coming into those jobs either. Everybody's starting to think differently. And we're going to have to figure out some really interesting challenges to this. I mean, I don't think automation is a thing and, you know, that's accelerating as well, but that can't create a bunch of waiters and, you know, restaurant staff and, and things like that. Yeah. So we're going to have to figure out some solutions to these pretty quick. And I don't think anybody has all the answers. No, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, Thank God that we have airplane hangers full of robots ready to take over at any time, just because when we do find that, <laughs> that disparity, 
Enter in the AI. <laughs> One thing that I was recently reading something that you wrote, I'm just very interested in how people make decisions. And it was the Forbes piece that you wrote, which was how cognitive biases create a negative customer experience. Can you just talk to that point for a minute? I just think that that's such an interesting thing, especially for fourth quarter. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, in my employee experience work, I actually spent a, a fair amount of time on the behavioral science realm of things. And so I did a lot of research on cognitive biases and there's something like a hundred plus that people have named. I think some of those are a little bit redundant, but there's a lot of them. We'll just put it yeah. that way. So, you know, I thought, let me extrapolate that and kind of apply that to customer experience. And so, you know, thinking through things like, you know, recency. So, you know, we often, you know, the thing that happened most recently is the thing that sticks in our minds or on the opposite of that, the first thing that ever happens to us, anchor bias can kind mm -hmm. of set up the rest of a relationship, good or bad. And, you know, I think that works in companies favor as much as it works to their detriment. It's interesting how we all kind of operate in a combination of these things. And it, you know, kind of depends on where we are or how we're thinking at the time, but there's so many biases out there and, and so many different ways of thinking that companies just need to kind of understand that. To me, it kind of drives home the point that with customer experience, you need to make sure that every experience is consistent, is as good as possible. And we know in reality, every experience is not going to be perfect, but you need to make sure that it's as consistent as possible and as good quality as, as possible, because you never know if it's the first thing, the last thing, or some point in between, that's going to be that thing that kind of sticks in their mind and biases them either for or against you. It's so funny because I find cognitive biases extremely, extremely persuasive. And so that's why I can be very aggressive when I'm trying to do something so that they understand that, oh, he's aggressive, he's tenacious, this is how he is. And then they name me that and then I am that. And right. it's so powerful because then you're able to persuade somebody how you want to help them. You know what I mean? Not to sell them shit they don't need, but it's pretty uh, interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. How are you seeing some of this in action in regards to some of the social issues that have come up recently where a lot of brands are wondering, should we get involved and throw our hat in the ring or is it too political or should we, you know, and I'm seeing some people like Mike Lindell, God bless them, are like leaning real hard in one direction. And then some people are thinking, do I want to do that? Do I not want to do that? Am I going full on social justice now, even though our brand hasn't stood for that in the past? So talk to mm. me a little bit about how companies are thinking through these issues and where they're landing when they decide we're going to either put a flag in the ground or not. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll start with how I think they should think about it. Uh, the world doesn't often work like I think it should, but so I, I wrote a book called The Agile Brand. So part of the premise of it was that overall brands need to be more adaptive and more agile as the, as the name would suggest and be able to adapt to the times that they're in and the audience and, and all those things with a big caveat of, you know, if your mission and values change mm -hmm. and change often, I don't really know what you stand for and neither do consumers that are getting more and more sophisticated. So to kind of extrapolate that, I mean, we see this every year. Like I think the Super Bowl owning an advertising agency for a number of years, I watch the ads. So every year we see so many brands come out with the feel good, touchy feely ads. And, you know, some of those feel genuine. Most of them feel like, okay, now all of a sudden company A decided 
they were about something. And, you know, people <laughs> are smart enough to see that and get turned off by it. And the ones, you know, there's a handful, I think, that do it well when they did it. It felt genuine. It was right. Whether you agree with the politics or the, you know, the social issue it's involved with, it didn't feel wrong. But others are just like, wow, where did you come from with this? Um, oh, and yeah. then I think yeah. there's other brands that don't even talk about it and they just kind of do it. Like Levi's, for instance, has been doing amazing social justice work and some other things in San Francisco and, and stuff like that, that I had no idea, never read anything about it. Maybe if I was local to there, I would have learned about it, but they're doing all this stuff just because they wanted to do it. There's this total dichotomy of those that talk about it, but don't really back it up. And then those that are, you know, the ones that are just doing it to do it. Eventually it comes out that they're working on it. And then it feels genuine because it's been part of their brand all along. Yeah, I think a lot of brands are still worried about the cancel culture, you know, so there's this yeah. sort of like deciding we're going to do this thing, even though we're just doing it out of fear, not because it's aligned with our values. And mm -hmm. I think that it reads as such, too. It's funny because my husband and I were shoe shopping yesterday at the mall and like of all places, so we just decided it was like time to try the mall again. And so we're there and he's, <laughs> lo he's looking at these shoes and he's like, I can't buy that brand anymore because of what they're doing on social media. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Boy, it sure stuck with him. So I couldn't even get him to try on the shoes because they were a certain brand. So just interesting to me to see how this is going to play out. Yeah. And I think it started out like a lot of people were talking about, you know, specifically with millennials, we're all about company values and, and all that kind of stuff. It's not just one generation I've read many things that even apathetic Gen Xers like myself and boomers and, and everybody else as well, they're voting, so to speak, with their dollars. And, you know, that has to do with brands and all that stuff as well. For better or worse, the world is getting more and more polarized and, you know, companies are picking, you know, a path for themselves. And I don't know that that's a, that's a topic of a whole other show, but for better or worse, they're doing that. And yeah, your, your husband's not alone. There's lots of people that are doing that. Yeah. What's your advice to companies that are thinking that they're going to choose hmm. a path? Because I even had one recently, a client that wanted to basically follow in the sort of Mike Lindell footsteps and just be really outrageous and just go that path. And I said, hey, listen, if you know your target audience is just going to be this half of the population, then go for it, right? You might have a cult following like Mike, but if you have 50-50 in your base, then just be mindful, you're probably going to lose half of them at least. Right. I mean, that's the problem. And I think there are probably ways to show your values without picking a political side sometimes. Again, the companies that do it, they're not doing it for purely altruistic reasons. Let's, let's be honest, you know, the ones that do it, they've made the calculations. They know that despite some people leaving them, they're probably going to have stronger customers from the ones that stay. And any company that's publicly traded has shareholders. They're not going to go into that willy nilly. They're going to go into that with both eyes open. But I do think that there are ways that you can demonstrate values and commitment to customers and even the world in, in the way that you see it without taking a hard political stance. Agreed. I'm a hardcore conspiracy theorist. No matter what the topic, I, I have a conspiracy <laughs> theory I can build around it. April knows this very well. So, um, so true. I always try to look at things that kind of like, is that real? Because I'm in, I'm in a digital world, 
right? So I'm kind of, I have to disseminate the information and try to figure out what's real and what's not. And I see the trend that I don't like, which you're mentioning, is everybody digging into like being on one side or the other. Like it's one side or the other, one side or the other. Like there's no, it's like, I love a little bit of this. And I love a little bit of that. And it's not, I'm not sitting on the fence. I just respect both of you. It's like- I'm a centrist, yeah. I've been looking at the comments that we've been getting on Facebook advertising. Um, Cause we have to constantly change our audience because Facebook can be very, very hateful in the comment section. And they are nuts one way or the other. And I just find that, polar opposite so crazy and very scary so when i see people and brands that are pandering to that it's like a celebrity sex scandal it brings a lot of attention around somebody (laughs) then all eyes are on them and then they're owning a little bit of the conversation and i do feel like some of them make those choices to do that foolishly and they don't bounce back from them Yeah, it's a, you know, any press is good press kind of mentality. And I don't, we used to be able to have conversations without it being about politics. And I think that started in our social lives, I think, and now it's gotten so prevalent in the marketing and branding. I hope it goes somewhere different than where it is right now, because it's just, I'm exhausted, (laughs) I'll be honest. So... (laughs) I think it's exhausting seeing the brands taking up all the same sides. I mean, it was exhausting and frustrating enough to me also. I'm I'm sort of in a similar camp as Chris is like, can't we just all get along? I mean, I'm a, I'm a classic liberal. I just want everyone to love everyone. And I don't understand. Well, we only love you if you're in this category. Isn't that the thing? So now to see brands doing, I'm also like, oh my God, help me. You know, like how, do, <laughs> this is crazy. What kind of world is this? And it also feels irresponsible that they're, not being the adults in the situation and they have money on the line. We're supposed right. to be in a capitalist society where you have to stay in the middle. Why are you, you know, it's crazy to me, but, <laughs> but here we are. Well, Greg, I mean, it's been really, really fantastic talking to you today. Where can people just learn a little bit more about you, where they can get your book, et cetera? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm really active on LinkedIn, so you can connect with me there. And my website is gregkillstrom.com. So you can find my books there, my blog and podcasts and everything like that. Excellent. I really do urge everybody to check out Greg's website. He has some really fantastic articles that are pretty damn thought provoking. So yeah, definitely check that out. And Greg, thank you so much again for joining us on Hype Busters. Yeah, thank thanks so much you. for having me. So nice to meet you, Greg. All right. Take care, man. Bye. See you. Too. Bye. Bye. He was great. You'd like him. So, Chris, you ready for point counterpoint? Oh Where my I'm, God, I'm so ready. What? I'm going to be right. You're going to be right tonight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you are. What's our topic this week? Disney looks to develop rising TikTok and Instagram creators. They're introducing an influencer program that will teach fans of the brand how to grow into social media superstars. <laughs> Obviously, I think this is brilliant. I think this is a great way to cultivate the thirsty TikTok audience. I would say that from my perspective as a digital marketer, one of the main things that brands are shying away from is an actual understanding of how to cultivate brand awareness on TikTok through other people's channels and not just by throwing money at them. And this is kind of like a franchise model. So this is kind of like, okay, here we go. We're Disney. We know what we're doing. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do your angles. Here's how you can promote it. Here's how you get, and here's what you get. Because they are who they are, it slides right into place really quickly because they're a well-oiled machine. Um, So I think that this is really smart. I mean, 
the image of Donald Duck in the article, the painting, and then they actually showed him that to do the money bag. I mean, it's a really cool image, right? But Disney told him how to do that. <laughs> probably sent them the painting, probably said, hey, this would be a really cool thing. Hey, you should be wearing this sweatshirt. Hey. I find it so upsetting. I knew Hold- you would. <laughs> <laughs> now, I agree with you that it's smart, but I also think it is creepy AF. It's just the tentacles of a big brand reaching down to influence the influencers. So all of the world is orchestrated by big brands that have the dollars to do this. If this happens too much, it's going to be the same thing that's happening where the media is losing its credibility. Influencers are going to be seen as paid, bought, and sold, you know, and they're not going to have influence anymore. And so then people who are genuinely influencers who are, are independent agents and aren't paid for and bought and sold by some big marquee brand, their credibility will also be sort of shrouded with this cloud of doubt and, and grossness. Yeah, but think about it this way. I think about it this way. When like a brand like Disney steps in and says, this is how we do this, it's going to kill this idea. Because they're actually going to organize everybody and then everyone's going to figure it out really quickly. It's going to get watered down and this is going to go away. What I've said, if anyone freaking listens to me, I've been saying, put together your TikTok brand ambassador program so that you have a branded channel, but you're focused on influencers and you're telling them how to do it. You're creating the strategies for them. You're giving them creative briefs, all of which we do. And that is changing the game. But we're dealing with smaller budgets than Disney would be dealing with, obviously. Mm -hmm. So they can make big waves. And also they can release something in that age that makes everyone look at it. They might not even have anything fully developed yet, but I'm reading about it and it's kind of like, hmm. But usually when someone figures out the secret sauce, no one wants the burger, you know? (laughs) I'm getting very fatigued by talking about influencers. I don't know, how about you? What do you think about that? I hope that you're right. I like where you think it's going to go instead of Mm -hmm. my concern, which is that it just means that the world is owned by all of the same companies that are the most powerful and choke out any other, you know, blossoming flowers (laughs) before they have a chance to see daylight. Right. I mean, that's kind of the concern that I have as just a small business advocate and advocate of independent thinking in general. But I like that you're positive that it will kind of burn itself out. Mm -hmm. And that, that makes me happy. Well, yeah, because you can already see with the things that Instagram is doing currently that they're looking at TikTok and they're starting to copy stuff and people are starting to leave and hemorrhage. And I've seen this happen from MySpace to Facebook, from Facebook to Instagram, from Instagram to TikTok. I mean, this is the natural progression of the herd. The only thing I don't like is I don't like so many, many, many individuals that do nothing but stand and talk to their phone and make money. I think that drives me crazy because most of the influencers that you will come across don't really have a really strong business sense or acumen on how to have a conversation. So they don't understand contracts. They don't understand deliverables. It's a very egotistical market and Mm -hmm. not one I like to really dive into. So for example, we'll do influencer marketing through our campaigns, but somebody wants like really next level stuff. I'll refer that to a partner because I don't like to do that next level stuff where we're dealing with the influencers team of people and they have 
stipulation after stipulation. That's why, how smart is it Disney? Who's a big Disney fan? They're easy to find, so easy to find, like shooting fish in a mouse barrel. And like the thing with them is that they are brand loyal right off the bat. So if you give them free gear, you're good to go. But I'm gonna also give you the guide. This is how you're gonna do it. Smart. And creepy. Creepy. <laughs> what? It's social media. Did we, did we think it was gonna be like, <laughs> like a yoga session? I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> That's why all the PR people are going into yoga. Super creepy. <laughs> That's why this is probably coming out on Halloween because this is creepy. <laughs> oh, Halloween. Oh my gosh. Do you know the Raid Dunn family of mugs and everything? It's kind of like a long handwriting. And it'll, like, it'll be like coffee, pasta. And they have like a whole range of things. Yes. I went over to my parents' house and they had a sign that was Ray Dunn. And it said something that I don't even want to mention. It was either eat or gather or something that I just don't stand behind. <laughs> I don't stand behind directional signage in a home. You know, unless that's exit. So my dad was just like, eh, like this, it's a Ray Donovan. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's not Ray Donovan, it's Ray Dunn. But anyway, I digress. That was um, funny. <laughs> so let's do our cash or trash segment. Let's so do it. What, what are we doing today? We are doing the Hidden Valley Ranch and Crocs collaboration that has resulted in sold out Crocs that are cream and colored with like little food icons stuck through the holes in the top. So I'm yeah. looking at a hamburger, a taco, french fries, a tomato, broccoli. Yeah. I think that's fried chicken. Yeah, I think it's a, either fried chicken or a chicken nougat. Is that a, is that a snowman? No, that's actually, I think it's a bottle of HBR. Okay, and then I see HVR and then carrots and celery. Well, and they're the all first... <laughs> stuck in to the top of the crocs. Like, and it, it, doesn't this look like the first thing that your dog is going to do is eat one of these off your foot? Like, I mean, it <laughs> also it also just looks like your toddler took your crocs and like stuck a bunch of their like, their little like play kitchen shit in your crocs. <laughs> It, it looks just, like it looks like a project. Yeah, a project. It's better than the Tampax and Crocs crossover. Stop it! That's not a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but curses to you for putting that image in my head. <laughs> oh um, my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Make it go away! Make it go away! Okay, back to the Crocs. Taco. Oh my god! No, taco. It's one of the, it's one of the things for the HBR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And onion rings. So wait, what is a $5 onion? Wait, you have to buy... Those are the little things that you stick in the holes to decorate so your crop. Each of them are $5. Tacos, $5. Onion rings, $5. Crocs nuggets. Uh, Croc nuggets. Nuggets. Huh. How are these sold out? Because they only made 10? <laughs> Shady PR <laughs> <laughs> so the shade <laughs> burn <laughs> no i i will tell you something for nothing hbr people are loyal they are like they love the brand really 
really? I know people that like it so much that they'll put it on everything. That's why everything's being associated. That's the association. Okay. My, my brother and his family use it all the time. They'll use it on top of the vegetables. They'll use it as a dip for French fries. They'll use it, et cetera, et cetera. Really? Huh. But I just clicked on the other Crux collabs, see if any of them made any sense. They all pretty much don't. So what are the other collaborations? Well, there's one with um, Cars for Disney. That kind of makes sense a little bit. But then there's, I don't know, that is Space Jam. They have uh, uh, Grateful Dead ones. <laughs> of course they would. Yeah, these are like so specific. I see these on someone in Tokyo. You know what I mean? Like I, they're... they're <laughs> No, you're right. If you're making a statement, this is for you. I mean, this is also coming from the girl who is about ready to buy the bright pink rain boot Uggs that make me look like I'm wearing cartoon slippers. So it's not quite fair for me to laugh at this. I guess it's because I don't understand the Hidden Valley Ranch obsession and or Crocs like independently. So mashed up together, it's just all kinds of questionable noise in my head. <laughs> so yeah. what say you cash or trash i would say surprisingly i would say cash on this one because this brand is for a specific person and they are catering exactly for that person in a highly specific way would i put them on my feet if i had to walk through lava and they were the only things that would keep my feet safe i would just lose my feet because they're so hideous. But um, I mean, you do you, boo. If they blow your skirt up, go for it. But I think from a business perspective, that's smart. Okay. I mean, I guess if the HVR audience is actually aligned with Crocs audience, then it does make sense. <laughs> it just sounds funny. It's like, it's like, hmm, is mayonnaise aligned with uh, penny loafers? <laughs> it's weird, right? It's like Hellman's penny like, loafers. Like, is the audience the same? It probably is, actually. So mm -hmm. I guess I'm with you. Hideous mm -hmm. to look at, hilarious. And I'm going to go with cash. Okay, that's enough on that one. Let's do our next segment, April. Up next, what's trending? <laughs> that sounded so alluring. <laughs> Up next, what's trending? Do you ever ask yourself what's trending? Stay tuned and find out. <laughs> now, have you seen Lula Rich yet? No. Okay. Lula Rich is a show on Amazon Prime, and it immediately grabbed my attention because I find pyramid marketing schemes absolutely fascinating. And it's the LuLaRoe company. And it's a four-part documentary. Goes through all the different levels of it. And it was basically telling the story of this couple that started this company. And they were selling maxi dresses. And then they started selling leggings. And then, then they started getting people underneath them. And then they incentivized the people to get people underneath them. And they built the pyramid. The people at the top of the pyramid were getting checks for $500,000 in bonuses a month from having so many people underneath them. What? Yeah. So what happened was the leggings were really good. They were, they were said they were thick and buttery. I mean, I don't, I don't wear leggings, so I don't know. But 
that was supposedly a big thing. So people would do it like Tupperware parties. Like you'd have a LuLaRoe party and then you would have people over and you'd shop your closet or do like a Facebook Live or something like that. I think I have a LuLaRoe dress. Let's see, you're part of the cult. And um, so <laughs> business-wise and why it's relevant is that it is selling this dream of being empowered women, but they are Mormon and they believe the wife needs to be subservient to the husband and in the home. So they're trying to keep the wife in the home by selling things out of her closet so that then her husband quits their job so that she would then support him so he can do whatever he wants. And then they can kowtow to his needs and the needs of the family. And, 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 and. I highly recommend taking the time to watch it. It's- I'm gonna check this out. Crazy. They're like, <laughs> they're like, you know what? When you get that box, and you get that box in that product. And what they do is they only make as much of the fabric as they have. So there's exclusives and everything. So people have to trade to find the ones that they want and the patterns that they want. And it's like, I mean, it's really smart. Oh, and wow. um, it's, it's basically like making everybody feel like they have to get something and they have to buy it. So they said like, when the box arrives, it's a box of possibility. The possibilities are endless. Your life starts right when you open that box. And they were opening the box and because they grew so fast in a three-year period, they were basically in the back of their, their building. They just had dumpsters full of the leggings that they left outside. And then they were scooping them up, putting them in the boxes and sending them over. And they were wet, stained, had rat pee in them. They were moldy. They were ripped. The quality started suffering. And over 100,000 people or 600,000 people joined. This sounds as fascinating as the Fire Festival documentary. Ooh, I think that was better. Okay. This one's good because you get, they didn't tell the people that were being interviewed that they were going to do a bad painting of them. And oh them God. acting like, they'll, they'll say, oh, I don't remember it like that. And then they go and they show them actually saying it. Then they show them being disposed by the police and acting like they've never said it or heard it. Oh my God. It's like crazy stuff. It's like crazy stuff. It's so great. Crazy. This is so cringy. Yeah. I was fascinated. And why I'm even mentioning it is they did a lot of deep diving into what's the difference between an MLM and a pyramid scheme. Ah, I don't know. That. What, what is the difference? Well, <laughs> there's it, it's uh, MLMs are not incentivized for you to build more people. Because it's based off of sales, not based off of bonus. Some people that were interviewed wouldn't even say how much money they were making. No. Like every, everyone was blonde. Everyone was, it's like super healthy. No. All right. Well, I'm going to watch that one. I don't mind being upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's something. It sounds super upsetting. I have one thing for our, one of our last segments, which is going to be just the tip. And it's a penetrating idea that I've seen that um, involves Instagram. I feel like Instagram was really, really scared. And it's making lots and lots and lots of changes. You used to have a swipe up sticker. They've taken that away. Then they put it back. And they moved it over here. Then they did something different. Now they're sharing people's posts that your friends like to your feed to give those people more play. So it looks like there's more people viewing their stuff. And so they've expanded their reach. And now they're really trying to lean into video because the main rumor is that they're going to take away the Instagram stories, just the plain image-based ones, and they all have to be videos. 
Like if it's not video, they won't do it. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, why don't I just wait for it to kind of calm down a little bit? My just the tip is that this is going to be the way it's going to be for a while. So shoot your shot, you know, get in there, try stuff out, try some videos, try getting things together. If you can't get a video yourself, you know, find someone that you could do some UGC if you're a product company or even a service company. You don't have to do anything crazy, but if you are posting things to your grid, that's great. But the stories and the reels and the videos and all these extra little pieces are going to really make everything sing and expand your visibility. And that's going to be something that's going to continually change. I mean, all sites do, but Instagram is really threatened by TikTok currently. So I feel mm-hmm. that there's going to be a lot of fourth quarter change. And if you are a product-based company and that you, you are always hyper-focused on Instagram, just pay attention because, you know, even if you're outsourcing to an agency, you have to do some homework too, because mm-hmm. they might just be like posting based on the structure of your contract. So you really need to be aware. So that's my just a tip. Smart. I like it. Yay. Yeah. Oh my God. Awesome. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Hype Busters. And thank you to Greg for a great interview. Do you have questions about the news, companies, and conversations from the show this week? Do you? Do you just? You'll find our contact details in the show notes below. And our DMs are always open for news, companies, and suggestions that you want to hear about next. So if you're and looking... please. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're looking for a chance to put your brand in the hot seat, we want to hear from you. Again, no nudes. See you next time for more real talk on strategic communications with Chris and April. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.